Welcome to our class. We're going to talk about a couple things. We're going to talk a little bit about work as worship and your spiritual calling. Um, a quick handout here with a few points. Take one, pass it on. Thank you. All right, cool. So, um, all of you are employed, right? Yes. Dang it. Because Refuge is hiring, so if you're... Our coffee shop is hiring, so if you're not happy, let me know. Yeah, these are actually applications. If you could just fill it out and uh, give them back to me. So, um, so Walter started off last night um, uh, with spiritual calling and identity. Um, I think before you can really understand work as worship, you really have to grasp uh, spiritual calling. So I'm going to touch on that a little bit, and then um, we'll explain work as worship. And I would just love to ask you guys some questions about your current situation, your current jobs, and how you feel about it. So spiritual calling, uh, the way that I like to define it, is uh, that which each of us is uniquely made to do in his image for his purpose in this life. So that's a mouthful, but basically it has to fit into a couple categories. One, it needs to provide for you, right? Have to make enough money to deal with financial obligations, etc. It needs to um, bring you to life. So believe it or not, God wants you to work somewhere where you are filled with joy and passion. Um, I think that um, we make a lot of excuses um, we talk about seasons. A lot of this is just a season. I'm just going to work here until the season's over. And then, you know, God will have something great for me next. And God this, God that. Well, God's not going to do anything until we take that first step, right? And so financial fear um, absolutely paralyzes us to stay where we're immensely unhappy. And I mean, I've, I did that for years and years and years, assuming that I was just being a man and the provider and like, this is where I have to be. And that was just something that I just, I told myself to not confront my fear of moving into the unknown, right? Um, so it's gotta bring you to life. Um, but at the same time, it does have a cost that you, but you can endure it, right? So it's not like, this is the best job ever. Everything's perfect. No, there is a cost, but it's something that you can withstand, something that you take on, it's not a burden, it's an honor, right? Um, and finally, um, it has to reveal the kingdom of God, right? And so that's the most flexible of all um, because it really depends on, I mean, I know that, you know, if you're not a manager, if you're not a, you know, uh, whatever, executive, there's only so much you can do at the culture where you work, right? If, especially if it's not a kingdom environment. Um, and so I think that's, a, that's the first misconception that we should kind of cover is that, I completely understand that not all of you are able to be like, all right, from now on we're doing one-on-ones and from now on we're going to, you know, be transparent and vulnerable with each other and this and that. That obviously you can't, right? So it's really more so about your sphere of influence. So where has God put you? Who do you meet with? Or if you do have some people that you are, um, that you lead or whatever it is, right? Um, those are the ones that we're talking about right now. Those are the people that, that, that God has given you authority over. Um, and this obviously refers to, you know, wives, husbands, kids, boyfriend, girlfriend, whatever you've got going on. Um, that is what, um, that's where you can reveal the kingdom of God, right? Uh, so again, the work needs to provide for you. It's got to make money. You got to be able to eat, etc. Um, and something I want to touch on too is also that it's not a poverty mentality either, right? When, when, when I say provide for you, I don't mean like you're just scraping by and this is a 
godly way of doing it. We're a martyr for the Lord. That's not at all how we're supposed to live, right? Um, and it's also not here so that you can give every penny away. I know, I know a couple of business owners that struggle so much with their finances. And when we get down to it, we come to find out that they'll give away 70%, 80% of what they make, but you know, they're not capable of, you know, buying stuff for their kids or a house or whatever it is, right? Because in their minds, they think, oh, I'm going to live off. It's that whole thing. What is it? It's like live off of 20, give away 80 or something like that. It's like the flip flop. I don't know if you guys ever heard of that where it's like, or no, like live on 10 and give away 90, whatever. It doesn't make any sense to me. How could you? How could you give away 90, uh, 90%? But um, so it's got to provide for you. It's got to bring you to life. Um, Based on your passion, how you were designed, even when it's low, you're able to bounce back quickly. So if you're at a place where it's not hunky-dory all the time, but you're able to recover well. So you have a rough day and you're looking forward to the next day, right? Um, and it has to reveal the kingdom of God. So essentially it transforms people. Um, and then a quick reminder, this is not just meant for pastors and missionaries and etc. Um, this is something that I've struggled with for a long time because my dad's a pastor. And we were belong to the Christian Reformed Church, which is a very old school religious um, denomination, for us at least. Um, and my dad, um, it was almost like it was almost, he was a pastor, but he didn't even really want me to be a pastor. So he actually made me feel like I could never be a pastor because I wasn't, whatever, Jesus enough or whatever it is. And then as I enter the marketplace... Um, it was always it was always a sort of like an unspoken thing of like, well, you got to provide for your wife. Right. So, you know, you can't be at the church all the time or whatever it is. Um, and so that's my personal journey. And I, I feel like over the years, um, in the last three years, I've come to realize the truth. And the truth is that we are all equally called to the kingdom of God. Um, in many ways, I would even say that the marketplace is more um, there's more transformation to be had simply based on math, right? So you go to church two hours a week, three hours a week, life group, whatever. You go to work, what, 30, 40, 50 hours a week, right? And so inevitably you spend more time with those people. You have more authority with those people in their lives. Um, and so ultimately you can probably create a greater impact simply because you know what they do for 40 hours a week and you can relate. Um, so something to think about too is the disciples, Jesus' disciples. They were all from the marketplace, right? Uh, so we had a fisherman, we had tax collector, a zealot, who, if you don't know, that's like a political warrior. Um, we had a thief, an embezzler, a religious teacher, and tent maker. Jesus himself was a carpenter. Um, all these men led productive lives. They were super successful what they did, but it didn't matter until Jesus called them out to continue doing the same thing for the kingdom, right? Like when we read the Bible and we see like the Jesus stories, I feel like the chosen is, is a little different. There's a lot more context there, but in general, we just see like the miracles. We see like the traveling from town to town. Like these guys had to eat. They had to stay somewhere. They didn't always get invited into someone's house to stay. They had to set up tents in the wilderness, etc. So these guys had skill sets that came from the marketplace that made Jesus' ministry possible. Um, even just handling money, etc. I mean, it was it was so valuable to Jesus. Um, so um, I'm going to skip ahead here a little bit. Um, because I want to really focus on work, work is worship. Um, so really quick, I want to read Matthew 19, 16 through 26. Um, so we've kind of defined spiritual calling. Walter did a great job yesterday. Um, and so in essence, if you haven't stepped into your spiritual calling, 
you're not really doing much of anything. And I don't want that to seem super negative, but you're kind of floating out to sea a little bit, right? Um, and you're not really walking in the kingdom. Now, that's not that you're not saved. Those are two very different things, right? There's the gospel of salvation and there's the gospel of the kingdom. Most traditional Christians focus on the gospel of salvation that says, Jesus died for my sins. He's my savior. I'm good. I'm going to make sure my wife is saved. My kids are saved. Their kids are saved. And we're just going to wait this thing out, right? Then there's the gospel of the kingdom, which is what we believe Jesus really meant to do, which is he meant to bring heaven on earth. He meant to live in the kingdom now. Um, and so that's more go out and make disciples, right? Um, and so Matthew 19, 16, it talks about, that's the, the rich man. So I'll read it really quickly. Uh, then a man came to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me what is good, Jesus said. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep his commandments. Which ones, he asked. Jesus replied, you shall not murder, adultery, you shall not steal, give false testimony, etc. All of these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? And he answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell everything, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. So when the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. And Jesus said to his disciples, truly, I tell you, it is hard. It was harder for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. So a couple of interesting things here. So obviously this guy had been a believer for a very long time, right? He's, he's following all the commandments. He's wealthy. You know, we don't know how old he is. This is a young, young rich ruler or whatever, but... But he's been, he's been a Christian for a while, right? Um, he asked about eternal life, and Jesus responds with the basic Christian requirements, okay? So he didn't respond with, go and make disciples. He didn't say, go, you know, be a kingdom enterprise. Well, he simply, the question was, how do I enter heaven? And Jesus said, in relation to salvation, keep my commandments. That's it, right? Super basic. So the focus of that entire passage isn't, is not keep the commandments. That's just the first part, right? So that's like baseline for us as believers, when many of us believe that that's everything. But really, it's baseline. That's where we're starting. So Jesus is basically saying that it's about the kingdom of God now, not eternal life. That it is almost impossible for the rich to walk in God's kingdom now. Okay, it's not literally if you're super wealthy, it's really hard for you to go to heaven. That's not it at all. It's that the temptations of this world of wealth, of power, of authority make it almost impossible for you to walk in God's kingdom now while you're still alive. Um, they fear losing what they've gained and keep God in the background. They thank him, praise him, but they're not willing to be seen and known as a, as a kingdom person, right? They don't know their spiritual calling. So this guy didn't know his spiritual calling either, right? He had lived his entire life. He was super successful at it, clearly. And yet, he doesn't even have the confidence to believe that he's going to heaven. Um, so, uh, and then, okay, so then when Jesus asked him to, to give everything away, right, that's a very public thing, right? So he's exposing his, himself as a believer, as a follower of Christ. So the act of giving much to the poor is public. It's known. It's out there. He can't take it back. He didn't fear giving it all away. He feared being known as a crazy Jesus follower. I mean, that's the reality. I mean, if he, if, he, if he was already a rich guy, he could probably gain wealth again. If he gave away the majority of it, he could probably make it back. So I don't think that he was worried about giving his money away. I think he was worried about being known as that crazy guy that gave his money away to follow Jesus, right? And so he was more worried about what others thought of him um, than the act of actually giving it away. 
Okay, but both the challenge and hope comes in Jesus' response to his disciples when he says, they ask, well, dang, Jesus, who can be saved? With man, it's impossible. With God, all things are possible. So again, what is spiritual calling? It is what we are uniquely made in his image to do in this life. So Jesus was talking to this man about his spiritual calling in this life on earth now. The man came to him with a simple question about heaven. And Jesus said, don't worry about heaven. You've already done it. Jesus knew the guy already followed the, the requirements, right? He knew, like, just, hey, out of your mother, he knew that stuff already. So Jesus took a step further and said, don't worry about salvation. Worry about now, what you're doing now, right? So uh, he was talking about, to this man about his spiritual calling in this life, on earth at that moment, not his past, okay? So, and the thing about Jesus is, again, we always see him as this, like, hunky-dory, softy, love this, love that. But I think he was sarcastic sometimes. I think he was kind of a jerk in some people's eyes, right? Like he really called you out to your face. So in this case, I don't think it was a request. I don't think he was like, hey, do this if you want to. I think it was a challenge. Like he was calling this guy out completely, right? And so it was, it was a challenge. It was a command. It was a must do it as soon as possible. He was telling this guy, don't waste another day just doing the activities of a believer. So don't waste another day just honoring your mother and father, being honest, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He said, you have so much resource, you have been given so much, do something with it, right? And if you're not going to do something with it, give it away so that someone else can do something with it, right? Um, so I think that's really super interesting about his Jesus' approach to most of the questions that he's asked. He, you ask him something simple and he responds with what you want, but then he really challenges you. Um, and so for me personally, how spiritual calling impact in my life is, uh, so we own the Bagler's uh, Coffee House in Chicago, and um, you know, I was a believer when I started it, but I definitely built it for myself. I come from a family of eight. Um, I'm number seven. And so it was always, it's always been a very competitive, like, look what I'm doing, look what I'm doing. Uh, pride is enormous in the Torres clan. Um, and so I didn't do it for the Lord. I, I simply did it to prove a point and to provide for myself and because I just didn't think that anybody could teach me anything. So I didn't want to work for anybody, basically. Um, and so... Um, and then at the same time, like I said earlier, I always thought that my dad's calling was much higher, right? So really, if anything, my goal was, hey, I'll make a bunch of money, I'll give to my dad's church, right? Um, and then I came to Living Stones three, almost four years ago, and um, it was the first kingdom, like non-CRC church I've ever been to, really. Um, and we saw that little coffee corner that you guys had that was empty. It was just, you guys said it was selling Costco muffins and whatever else was going on there. And I was like, man, that's, that's for us. I just knew it, right? But it was not for us for you guys. It was for us for me. This is how I was going to claim my stake at Livingstone's Church, right? Because at my old church, I was, you know, Hotam, Pastor's son, etc. So I thought, oh, man, that's going to be how everybody knows me, right? And we're going to tell everybody that we're going to buy everything, we're going to donate everything, and everybody's going to think we're so awesome, right? Um, again, the whole pride thing, of course. And so um, then I uh, started getting pretty close to Pastor Ron. Um, you know, if you're a guy, oh, a guy or a gal, man, when it comes to the leaders of this church, um, man, pursue them. Like, don't wait to be pursued. That's a huge mistake that we all make. Pursue the people that you, you see something they have or that you want, pursue it. And it's not perfect because all these guys, you know, pastor's super busy. Everyone's really busy, but they'll make time for you. Um, but man, I pursued the crap out of Pastor Ron. Um, and so that began a healing process. And I felt um, at that time that I needed to tell Pastor, 
the opposite. I was like, you know what? Don't tell anybody that we're doing this. Let's just pretend like this is just something that Livingstones is doing. We're gonna put in the money. We're gonna make. We're gonna run it. We're gonna donate, and then we'll donate all the the profit to Aurora. But don't tell anybody that it was us. Just announce it as this exciting thing that we're doing, right? And he was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like he didn't. He it wasn't like, yes, whole time. That's what I'm gonna do. He was like, yeah, 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 yeah. Like waving me off. I was like, okay, cool. So I trusted him. Um, and then we had a quarry three weeks later. And uh, Corey, for those of you that know, it's, it's a just gathering of all of our peeps, and we just talk about exciting things going on in different ministries. And so it was probably, he wrapped up his part of it, of it, and then he went on to sort of exciting announcements, et cetera. And he's like, hey, Hotel, come up here. And I was like, okay. And, and I went up there, and he was like, hey, he was like, tell everybody how much an espresso machine costs. And he like, holds the microphone. And I'm like, what? Like, I'm just like, what is he doing? Like, this is the exact opposite of what we talked about. And so he basically introduced Chelsea and I as like the future openers of Cafe Ethne. He literally told everybody how much we were investing. It was like $40,000, $50,000. That we were going to donate all this stuff, blah, blah, blah. And I was just so confused. So confused. And the whole time he's got this great smile. saying, hey. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, cool. So then... It was, it was so interesting, right? So there's obviously the pride side that's like, okay, cool. People know this is going to be good, blah, blah, blah. Then there's like the in-transformation side where I'm like, man, that's, that's so weird. Like, I didn't want it to go this way. This is really tempting me to be the man that I have been, not the man I want to be. Well, that entire, for the rest of that night, everybody that came up to Chelsea and I, Every single person, the, the verbiage, it was almost like everybody talked about it beforehand. It wasn't like, oh, we're so grateful for you guys. You guys are awesome. I, we can't believe how much it was. It was, we, we're so excited for the future. We're so excited to go on this journey with you guys. We can't believe how good the Lord's been to you. It, and not once did anybody give me any credit. And I could not believe it. It was like, like I said, it was like everybody had planned it. And I just felt like, man, Lord, like, and first of all, Pastor Ron knew what he was doing because he knows his people, you know, or he's like, I think that's what it was. I would assume that was the case, yeah. he, you know, but mainly the Lord knew what he was doing. And that day, man, my pride started to chip away slowly but surely. And it was the most amazing beginning to this, this journey with Cafe Ethne, right? And so I say that because, you know, like I said, the, the original intent of, of what we were doing there was for myself, right? Because I feel like my calling, not my spiritual calling, but what I'm meant to do here on earth is to make coffee, make food, serve people, right? And so I wanted to use that to put my stake in the ground wherever I go for myself and for my, my family, right? And the Lord is saying, I'm not going to change your industry. I'm not going to change what you're doing. I'm just going to change the purpose, and so that's another thing that we need to realize is that it's not necessarily going to be this completely new industry or this completely new thing or your dream, right? Because my, I mean, honestly, my dream was probably to write books. Like I published a kid's book when I was really young. I, I wrote another thousand page book. Like I want to make movie. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff, right? That we say that is like our dream. And if God really loved us, that's where I would go, right? But that's not the case. God gave me a slowly growing passion for the food industry that I never thought I could use for the kingdom of God in any way whatsoever. And now he's turned it upside down. And the beauty of it is that he knew, he knows it provides for me, right? That's the first thing. He knows I have a passion for it. He knows I'm designed for it, okay? And he knows it's going to transform people. And my industry especially is about people. I mean, hospitality, right? So it's so interesting that what I believe to be the case or what I believe to be the next thing 
is actually the exact same thing I'm doing with a renewed purpose, right? Think back to the disciples, right? Disciples, Jesus wasn't like, hey, stop doing what you're doing, you know, and we're not going to do anything at all like that. Like, no, he taught them how to be disciples for the kingdom of God, but he used his, their gifts, their talents, what they knew already, you know? And I think that's super key is to, is to realize that if your passion, what you're in right now isn't high, but you have a passion for it, the Lord can use it. If there's zero passion, you're in the wrong place. You need to leave immediately. Immediately. There's, I mean, you need to trust. Well, pray about it. Well, hang on, let's go back. Let's erase that. I don't want to get. Uh, never mind. Uh, but seriously, though, like if you're at a place where you are sucked, the life is like the life is sucked out of you, there's no joy, there's no passion or looking towards the future, then you are in the wrong place. There is not a single excuse to be there still, right? Uh, and the last thing that I want to say about spiritual calling is how do we get there? What is the best way to get there? And the very, very, very best way is to increase your intimacy with the king. Okay? So, um, how many of you guys, and be, and be honest, like, let's super honest hour, super honest time. Unless you're super embarrassed, then don't raise your hand. But then we'll know you're lying. So, how many of you guys have quiet time three times a week? Three out of seven days. And by quiet time, I mean just... 15 minutes a day reading the word or praying, but away from everything else. So three times a day, pretty good. Okay, four times, six times, every day, more or less. Okay, cool. So the way that I see it is for me as an entrepreneur, um, I have realized that my cap right, was this last business, the Baglers. That is the, that is the greatest thing I'll ever be able to do because that is the maximum amount of territory that I can control as a sinful, fleshy man, right? And so for me to go beyond that cap, I need to give it to someone who has greater capacity, greater capabilities, right? So I gave it to the Lord. So, so Refuge, our new business, literally on paper, it says that our CEO's name is G-O-D, it's God. Right, And then we are a B Corp. We're not a, a normal corporation. So a B Corp is a benefits corporation. What that means is that our highest calling is not profit. If you look at any articles in corporation for any entity, their S Corp, C Corp, LLC, it says that your, your greatest pursuit is profit. And anything you do against that, right, that you hurt your shareholders or your enterprise, blah, 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 that the board can fire you, no questions asked, right? Well, we are a benefits corporation. And our benefit, what we choose, we're a benefit to mankind, it's people. And so essentially, technically, I could, if I have a, uh, someone on my board or whatever that has, a, or they're having marital issues, I could literally say, if you don't go to marriage class, you're fired. Like in a normal world, you can't do that, right? But because our highest calling is people, right? In the same way that if I said, hey, if you don't sell this property at a profit, you're fired, right? You can get fired for that. Or if you don't make sure this client's happy, you're fired, right? Well, for a benefits corporation, we can let someone go if they don't love their wife properly, <laughs> which I think is amazing, right? <laughs> because let me tell you, I need that much accountability to do things really well, right? So um, I say all of that because essentially, the, so the B Corp, people as our highest calling, right? I, our, our, our CEO is God, and so now my cap has been removed, right? Because I'm not the boss, really, technically. God's my boss, right? And so now we have the capacity to grow into something much, much bigger, right? Well, if you guys have a boss, everyone here has a boss, right? What is the best way to get your work done the way your boss wants to get it done? Ask him. 
email, hey man, you know, you said you needed this stuff out by Tuesday, should we do it this way, should we do it that way, you know, whatever it is, right, you ask your boss, hey, what do you want to do, how do you want to do it, etc. right, sometimes you're already quick, sometimes your boss has already said, hey, you're capable of this, do your thing, you don't have to worry about asking me, right, but usually, other than simple day-to-day -day stuff, anything bigger than that, you should probably ask your boss. Well, here's, this is the exact same concept. It's saying that if God is your CEO, if, God, if Jesus is truly your king, right, that you are constantly asking him over and over and over again, what are we doing today? Where are we going? Should I hire this person? Should I go, you know, apply for this other job? Should I do this? Should I do that? You know, I'm in a new relationship. Like, is this the guy? Is this the girl? Et cetera, right? And so that is the whole point of spending time with the Lord, right, is high levels of intimacy, Okay, and it's just like anything else. It's a habit. You need to just form the habit. All right, but a couple things about quiet time is that it'll never steal from anything else, right? So you can't be like, oh, sorry, babe, we had a date night plan, but I got to spend time with God, so we're not going to go. Or, you know, you have a kid or a friend or whatever, right? It's never to be replaced. You know, you're not replacing something that's already committed. The next thing is that it really should be every single day, every single day, even Sundays, even Sundays, it should be every single day. And the goal of it is not to memorize the Bible or find the deepest, just most amazing revelation. I would say the last, uh, well, Monday was pretty crazy. But the last maybe 10 quiet times I've had, didn't hear a thing. God didn't boom voice me. He didn't, you know, it was just totally relaxed. It was just early in the morning. I read something in Matthew, read it a couple times, did some journaling. You know, Dear diary, today is pretty cloudy out. Like, super lame, right? Well, we would be considered lame. You know, but it's not, the point is not a product. You're not trying to produce something. You're trying to posture, right? Because guess what? When you ask your boss a few things here and there, he'll respond this and that. But every once in a while, you'll get an email from your boss that says, hey, would you mind doing this? Or would you mind checking this out? Or hey, could you come to my office? I really want to talk about, you know, growth or your future, etc." And that's where some really exciting things happen. Well, it's the exact same way with the Lord, right? The higher the intimacy, the greater the chance that you will fully understand your spiritual calling, where you're meant to be, right? And so let's jump to work as worship, okay? So, let me just take the time of this. So, work as worship, as we've discussed, the word avidah means work, service, and uh, worship, right? In the Jewish culture, they did not know the difference, okay? Um, there were times as an entrepreneur or in my old jobs where I could probably commit multiple felonies because I was so angry, alone, frustrated, whatever. And um, about two years ago, uh, no, it was like a year ago, um, I was at the bakery in Chicago. We were still in Chicago. And it was like 10 o'clock at night. And for some reason, I can't remember why, I think a couple of people were sick or whatever. It was, oh, it was, oh, it was the COVID thing. Yeah, that's what it was. We had two or three people disappear because of COVID, whatever. They're trying to take advantage of unemployment, blah, blah, blah. It was ugly. So overnight, I lost like three people, and there was all the production that was needed for the next day. And at that time, we serviced 30 wholesale clients in Chicago. And so my manager was there, but she had been there all day long, okay? And so I came in, and I was like, all right, I'm going to get started on this stuff. I knew it was going to be a long night. And, I, and she was actually like, hey, do you want me to stick around and help? And I was like, no. Like, you've been here all day, go home, right? And actually, no, I didn't even think that. I actually did think, yes, you should. And I literally felt, this is one of the few times that I felt very clearly the Lord speaking. He said, let her go home. You and I are going to do this one tonight. And I was like, what the heck does that mean? So I was like, okay, you should go home, et cetera, no problem. So then from that point, 
until the rest of the night. I put on some music, um, and I was just working. It's very robotic, right? Like bagels, croissants, et cetera, things you do over and over and over again. So there's a lot of time to think. And I felt like the Lord was revealing every moment over the last 20 years, 15 years, where I felt completely alone, where I felt like my work didn't matter, where I felt like nobody knows my hardships, that I'm, you know, what I, all these negative, negative, horrible things. And he was revealing how he was, he was literally standing right there. He was like, you don't think anybody noticed? I noticed. You don't think anybody saw how lonely you were? I saw. You don't think that I was, you know, trying to calm you and give you peace when you were angry? I was. It was over and over and over and over again. And I, that was the first time that I believed that my work mattered, that my work was worship, right? And I make freaking bagels. Like, literally, I make stuff that goes bad in a day. That you eat it and it turns into, you know what? Like, that's it. Like, it's the most basic thing in the world. And God was telling me, this is the most incredible thing you will ever do in your entire life. Other than having kids and getting married to Chelsea. Other than having kids and marrying Chelsea. <laughs> Torres. Right? And that's pretty surprising, right? Because you think it would be being called to you know, Africa for missionary trips or to whatever it is, right? And the Lord said, no. Your, your calling is here, right? And so for me, my work, be, my work as worship journey began when I started realizing that I did, in fact, have passion. I'd like to deny it because I, I always want bigger and better things. Who doesn't, right? I thought my work was too basic, too stupid, too simple. Um, when I realized that it has been providing for me for years and years and years, and when I realized that my direct reports, the people that are in my life, even when I struggled as a Christian, I still help transform their lives, right, through my fruit. The very little fruit I had in those days, right, it was still changing people. So I want to talk about, like, what you guys are doing, your jobs, whoever's willing to talk, right? So with all that said, work is worship, spiritual calling, do any of you feel um, like you're in the right place? Let's start there. What do you think? So I'm a personal baker. Personal baker? Personal baker. Oh, man. I was like, <laughs> perfect. I was like, dang it. And she likes where she works. Well, uh, that's a loaded question. Just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah. I have days when I absolutely. And I have days when I absolutely hate it. I'm having yeah. more days when I hate it. Yeah. Yeah. Like people will come into my office and they'll have major problems in their yeah. life. And then they leave there like, I don't know why I just told you all that. Right. Or it's an opportunity where I hear the Spirit say, tell them that I love them. Yeah. Like, what? I'm at work. Ha ha, that's super awkward. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And you do it and then they have in turn start crying. Yeah. And then they have a word of encouragement for you. Sure. And they're like, man, I was going to go to that bank over there. I'm so glad I came here. Yeah, that's awesome. And it's an encouragement to me that not only, it's not just like, hey, I got used today. It was God loved me enough yeah. to let me be used. And those are the days I love my job. Yeah. But I have to be honest. A lot of times I'm in the way. And sometimes I let other things get in the way. Sure. And... But I feel like God's moving me out of there. Like, I genuinely think there's somebody there in my, like, one of my fellow employees that as soon as that task, whatever that is, is done, he's going to move me. Yeah. Uh, because that passion is waning. But yeah. But I do believe that I am, the question, I mean, I, I do believe I'm in the right place right now. Right. That's good. Yeah. That's really good. Yeah, I mean, I think that I think that calling can be seasonal. Absolutely, I think that it that it, it's unique in that God's not going to call you to three different things. You know, 
God's not going to call you somewhere where, like we talked about, where it steals from your, your spouse or your kids or et cetera. That's another really good sign that God is not. I know so many dudes that are just like trying to kill it in the marketplace right now and entrepreneurs, blah, blah, blah. And they haven't had date nights in months. Their kids haven't seen them in forever. And when they talk to me, all they talk about is business because they think, oh, well, I'm a business guy, so I'm going to talk about business, right? They haven't had time with the Lord in weeks and weeks and weeks. But for some reason, they're still like, but man, God is so good. He's blessing me with more clients and blah, blah, blah. And I just have to question that. Like, is he? Like, so, so what I'm understanding is that what you're saying is that God is blessing you with growth at the expense of your marriage and your kids. Is that what you're trying to tell me? And there are so many people that believe that, right? Because they don't see the spouse as first, the kids as second, and then their job as third. They're, they're calling us third. You know? So I think it's exactly that. If there's, if there's good days still, but, uh, but uh, you seem to feel like, it all, like something's coming where it's going to change anyway. You know? I had a word spoken. And okay. When this word was spoken, Nicole Robarge gave me a word. I didn't even know her at the time. She came up to me in worship. And she said, she said God's going to give you a new job. And at that time, I'm like, whatever. I love where I'm at. I'm yeah. moving anywhere. I don't know who you are. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, and it's come up a few times. Yeah. But now what I have to be careful is my God's working on my attitude with sure. authority. Yeah, absolutely. He's healed that's a, a lot tough of one. wounds, yeah. and, but there's this, that little tidbit, and I think all of it, he's going to align everything perfectly. Absolutely. Or he's healed me and grown me where I need to be so that when I leave this season right. and go to the next season, right. I'm prepared for what he's Absolutely. Doing. Yep. And so I never thought I'd even be able to admit that. Yeah. But he's growing. Like, he's just really working. That's awesome. And, you know, I don't always represent him well, so I'm really glad that we're doing this today. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's really good. That's really good. Yeah. Anybody else? That they feel like you are where you're supposed to be? Chase. Yep. Uh, good. Yeah. Thank you. Anybody else? No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> there, was a, there was a finality to your yep. You were like, yep. It's like, okay, well. Right. Thanks for sure. <laughs> uh, I started a job back in March. Um, I got it because I was in a guy's house, and I sold him a radon system, and we got to talking about what he does, and what I... So, mm-hmm. started in March. Uh, I'm an account manager for a company called Veolia, and I s- sell chemicals to industrial water applications in Portland, clean towers and stuff like that. I'm super interested in it. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I am still, I'm in training, and I'm going really fast for the training, and everything's going really awesome. And um, so I got, I also got word uh, at one of the, the week, Ones mm-hmm. did. Um, he was talking about my career. He's like, "What you're doing right now is not it. Next thing's gonna be closer, and the next thing's gonna be closer. I see you working for yourself. Eventually, you're gonna get kind of tired of working for other people. But yeah, and he was just speaking that into me. Yeah. And like, my last job was closer. Yeah. And this job is even closer. Like, I feel like I'm being fathered and solidifying things that are I'm passionate about. And uh, that he's calling me towards. You know, I like working with customers, customer facing. I like having technical expertise. I like, there's all these things that I like. And I like the, the margin that he's created when I spend time with him. Yeah. So my days can be whatever I want them to be, which holds a tremendous amount of opportunity and a tremendous amount of responsibility. Yep. I like my days can be whatever they want them to be. So I could just not do anything right. in a day and make up for it tomorrow or. I can go to town and spend 10 to 12 hours on something, which I, I was asked to spend 10 to 12 hours a day at a steel mill recently. And I just took the presence of God with me and I felt the atmosphere change 
like I walked in there and it's an overwhelming environment. Like these huge industrial places are dirty and dangerous mm -hmm. and the people there are kind of rough. And I just prayed continually. Like I'm getting better at praying continually in that my heart is just so softened to what the Holy Spirit is doing. Yeah. And so I just sat there. I was literally watching a pump and watching to make sure chemicals weren't spilling and the hoses were leaking and stuff. We were doing flushes on the around the, steel, the, the furnace. And I felt the Holy Spirit drop. And I'm mm -hmm. like, what, what am I, I didn't do anything yeah. special. Those, that group of people walked by. What, I'm not doing anything special. But I just feel like I'm where I'm supposed to be. Awesome. Um, in that I can hear from the Holy Spirit and I'm bringing the kingdom with me. And I feel like I don't even identify with account manager in Veolia. I identify with the things that my father is solidifying in me in that I'm practicing bringing the kingdom with me and that I'm just indifferent yeah. to everything but the will of God. Yeah. Now that you say that, one of my key points was also indifference. That it, that's key to your spiritual calling is not indifference like you don't care, but indifference to this is God's will, this is my will, there's no way I'm taking my road, right? And the example that I had really quick, just so that it burns into your memory, is when Jesus was, um, when he went up and his disciples fell asleep, and he was asking the Lord to take this cup, and he was like, however, if you don't want, you know, if you don't want it to be any other way, you want it to be your way, I will do it. Right? And so we talk about like, oh, well, this job is like 15 minutes closer to my house, so maybe I'll go to that job. Or, oh, you know, like I really wish I had extra money for like more paint in my living room or whatever it is, right? Well, Jesus was literally asking God, like, could, we, could I not get whipped and tortured and literally like eviscerated and murdered? However, if that's what you want, that's what I'll do, right? And so that gives a lot of context to the level of indifference that our Savior had, right? That he was willing to die for a bunch of scumbags, right, that didn't deserve it. And he was willing to do it, like, right off the bat, right? Whereas we have such a struggle saying, well, Lord, I make $40,000 here, and if I go over there, I'll make thirty-five. But I know I heard the owner was a kingdom guy, and but I don't know, that's five grand. That's a big deal. You know, like, we have to have indifference to what we want and pursue what God wants. And if you ask, and if you have that intimacy every day, he will answer. I am the least Holy Spirit, like, activated, like whatever you want to call it, man you will ever meet. Like, I am very new to all this Holy Spirit stuff, right? But even me, I feel like I receive clear direction from the Lord, at least, at least, at least like the calling stuff, like the big stuff, um, you know, simply because I just spend time with them. I spend time with them, you know. So, anyway, um, anybody, well, I should just honestly, anybody have any questions about like related to their jobs or like work as worship, spiritual calling, etc.? How many of you feel like you're not in the place you should be? For sure. That's good. I'm unemployed right now because I'm in between. I'm in between coffee shops. Okay, cool. Um, yeah, so um, a little bit about refuge, real quick. Um, our goal is to um, be a kingdom enterprise. And what that means is that we are so committed to work as worship in that we want our people to almost be forced into an ideal scenario as far as like work-life balance, as far as like sufficient pay, um, support, one-on-ones, etc., to where even if they don't quite grasp work as worship, they live it every single day until they do understand it, right? Um, and so some of the things that we're doing as an enterprise to encourage workers worship is we are doing uh, four day work weeks. So we're working four days, you know, nine, 10 hours, 
and then off three days, right? So then that, you have a very obvious work-life balance. Like, you have to work where you got to work, but you got a bunch of time for yourselves, right? Another thing that we're doing is we're trying to get to a point that within a year, 18 months, that our frontline people are at around $40,000 a year. And so that's pretty ludicrous for coffee and bagels, right? But again, our, our goal is to see work as worship. Well, money should never be a motivator, but it's, def, you know, but it's definitely, it cannot be a demotivator, right? So it's not about, oh, I wish I had a bunch of money because of A, B, and C. It's about, I need to just have enough money so I don't have to think about the things that, you know, finances have caused me to think about, right? And so we take it super serious, seriously. Um, another thing that we do is we, we have smaller teams. So all of our leaders have one-on-ones with their people every single week for an hour a week. Um, to connect, um, it's their meeting. So, like, if you're a frontline person and you have a shift manager, you get one hour with your shift manager every single week privately, um, and you can talk about whatever you want. You can bring anything. It's your meeting, um, and nine times out of ten, thus far, it's always personal. It's never been work-related stuff um, because we pour so much into our structure to where you really just you know your job, uh, so you don't necessarily have to talk all that much about it. Um, so our, our our product has shifted away from craft-related. So like bagels, coffee, et cetera, to people related, right? Um, if you really think about, if you had to, if God could give you one thing, like unlimited cash or unlimited assets, buildings, equipment, et cetera, or a stable workforce that is fully established in their identities as sons and daughters, which one would transform the world? Realistically, which one would it be? Anybody? People, right. Because we can always, people can make cash, People can find assets and things, right? But cash can't buy culture. Cash can't buy identity, right? And so a refuge, work is worship, is our number one goal. Our mission statement is um, to reveal genuine culture in a counterfeit world. That's what we want to do at Refuge, is to show our people the reality of how it was meant to be. It's not to create a genuine culture. It's to reveal the culture that God intended in the garden. Like he intended for work to be worship. It was a partnership from the beginning, right? It wasn't like, hey, Adam, name that one giraffe, name that one hippo, name that one whatever, right? It was, hey, name the animals, right? And we don't read anywhere where it said that God later on changed his mind because Adam's ideas were really stupid. Like, no. Like, God said, go do this thing, and I trust you. So Adam went around, and he named the animals, and God never changed it. Right? It was a partnership. Like, God was entrusting part of creation to his son and his daughter, and I think that's such a powerful vision for our lives, right? Is that it's not about the singular, the day, like today I'm in this place where I'm kind of happy, but I'm kind of not, whatever. It's a long-term vision. It's, it's, this has started thousands of years ago, and it has never changed. God's mission has never changed. God's mission has always been, I need you to see this as a partnership. And the best way to do that is if even your work is worship to me, right? Because if it is worship to him, it's like double credit, extra credit. You know, um, and so for us, it's become something very, very serious, and we hope that we don't run out of money because we're paying people too much. So that's where we're at. No, we won't. It's fine. Everybody loves bagels. Yes. I do have one question. Yep. Um, and I know you said you've, been, you've owned your own business for quite a while, but I'm really curious. For me, um, in the workplace, mm-hmm. I have. It, you know, I work at the bank. It's not exactly very conservative. Sure. But the thing that I struggle with and what um, kind of causes me to trip up, the weakness in my character is when I feel, 
I don't need praises. I don't need a pat on the back. But when I feel abused or taken advantage of, yeah. what would you say? Like, I don't, can you speak to that? Like, yeah, uh, like barrels of acid. You could typically melt bodies in there if you kill somebody. Yeah. Um, <laughs> concrete slabs, put them in first. Um, yeah, I think that there is a reality to kingdom alignment, right? You, if you're not aligned with the people in your life, inevitably offenses will come. And so I think there's a, there's a reality to your inner circle. So if me, for example, I have my inner circle of people, right? My wife, my closest friends, you know, the people on my leadership team, etc. And so when those people speak into my life, they are beyond qualified to speak into my life, right? And so those people, I have no doubt that whatever they say, I need to really consider, okay, um, and probably listen to, right? And then you've got the circles as they go outward, you know? And so... It is a learned skill to be able to ignore or not take offense to those that are not aligned with you, right? But to find alignment, you need to establish that for yourself, right? Your boundaries, you know, um, what kind of friends do you want to have, you know? And so in our work environment, like the times that I've had, so I've had, I've had someone very recently that I thought was, you know, kind of like a spiritual father type person in my life, right? Um, some things happen where I felt very unloved, uncared for, I felt let on considerably, and it not just impacted me, but it impacted our business in general, right? And so a few years ago, I would definitely have taken offense, been like, screw you, I'm out, like, never needed you in the first place, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, right? But the Lord has, because of my intimacy, because of my quiet time, he's revealed this identity as a son, right? And so if I think about Chago, my firstborn, who's eight years old, and I think about, you know, the thing, we, we built a tree house in my house, right? And he didn't do anything. Like, he thinks he did, but he didn't do a thing. And, you know, when he thinks about it, he built it with me. And so he's like, man, Papi, this was so cool. We built this thing, bro. And uh, I, yeah, yeah, I'm not going to say, Chago, don't be an idiot. You did not build a thing. Okay, I'm stronger, bigger, faster than you. Like, no, no, no. I, in my world, as, as the father, I want my son to establish that identity with me, that partnership, right, to where, where he feels that he built something with his dad. Like, he listened to his dad, he took direction from his dad, and slowly but surely, that identity gets so strong that when his little buddies at school see the treehouse, and they're like, man, that treehouse blows, dude, that sucks. Like, he's like, I don't care, I built this with my dad, it's the best. There's a ramp, like there's a slide, you know, there's a secret hole that's not supposed to be there because we made her we cut it wrong, whatever, right? And so it's so difficult for his little buddies to like, ah, like, like get through that little sphere of dadness, right? His identity as a son that it just doesn't, it just, it doesn't phase him anymore, right? He's a child, obviously. He's doing that because my wife and I are constantly affirming this identity in him, right? Nobody did that for me, right? And so now I have to seek my perfect father, because I just told you about a spiritual father that I thought it was like the bee's knees or whatever, right? And he disappointed me, right? So I have to keep turning back to my perfect father and say, Lord, there is this douchebag at work that keeps messing with me or abusing me or whatever. First of all, give me clarity. Do I stay here? Do I go? Are these good days good enough? Are these bad days bad enough? Like, what are you trying to do here? Because I don't, because we are never meant to just be in a place where we're abused or beaten up or anything, or, or people steal our joy, especially if you're not someone that can change the culture. I think those are very clear sort of things where the Lord's maybe saying like, hey, 
Yeah, because I believe that Lord is the, the Lord is a, is increasing consequence, right? So initially, he's just like a little tap. He'll just be like, he'll put this thought in your head of like, hmm, like do I even like to work here or hmm, whatever, right? And then you kind of ignore it, or you at least don't come to the conclusion he wanted you to come to. And this is just in my personal experience, right? So then the guy goes from tapping you on the on the back to kind of like you know smacking you a little bit, and now it's something worse, higher consequence, right? And I'm kind of like, hmm, I'm still not convinced, Lord, blah blah blah. And then you get slugged across the face, you know, or you get to a point where you're just like, you get fired. You literally, you got fired. And you're just like, what the heck just happened? It was that you didn't listen. And so the Lord was being kind, kind, a little less kind, a little more tough love, blah, blah, blah. And you didn't respond, right? Now, I'm not saying that's why that person's being a jerk to you or whatever. But I, I know that in my experience, to me, it's the Lord is saying something because I am his son. If I knew that Chago was in a class or on a team or at a job where he was being treated like garbage, I would storm in there like a Puerto Rican hurricane and I would, I would yeah, lop some heads, right? I would never allow someone to abuse the son that I am molding and, and growing, right, without reason, right? So I believe it's the same way with us. Like, God would never allow such a thing unless he's teaching you something, but even that can be kind of like a lame excuse. I don't know that God wants you to be abused or beat up, right? So I turn to my identity as a son, and I say, you know what? I'm not. I'm going to ignore this guy today, or I'm going to, or I'm going to say, hey, what is your deal? Why are you messing with me? Why are you confronting? What have I done wrong? Like, can you give me some feedback? You know, that's happened in my business, and I'm the boss. Where someone's been like said that to, to me, and I never intended for it to be come off a certain way, but I'm kind of a jerk sometimes, you know. And so that confrontation helped me. You know, say, okay, you know what? You're right. Here's the feedback. I feel like you're a jerk and I hate you. No, but, you know, sometimes there's just miscommunication. I don't know your circumstance, yeah. no, you know, but good. sometimes confronting people really throws them off and, and sort of checks them and they stop being jerks. So, Thank yeah. You. Yeah. Anybody else? Any questions? Any thoughts about work as worship or the conference in general? I got a question for you. Yes. Sure. Kingdom business and one of your goals in partnership mm -hmm. with the Lord to multiply other kingdoms that work. To, to do more kingdom businesses yeah. beyond this one? So so the vision that, that, that God has laid on the hearts of my leadership team and myself is to um, yeah, it's pretty big. It's to feed the world, really. And so what we're doing is we have our retail. We have our bakery, so we produce everything, quality, etc. We started a, a broiler farm, a chicken farm. We have 1,400 chickens in Cedar Lake. That, that's our meat source. We're starting a hydroponic farm in Highland. It's, we have a 5,000 square foot bakery now um, that we're going to grow all of our lettuce, tomatoes, everything that we use, we're going to grow ourselves. And we're going to design a co-op for people to buy direct. So your chicken, your eggs, your lettuce, your tomatoes, you go to Refuge once a week, it's ready for you replacing the grocery store. So the vision that we have is to, is to transform the way people eat and drink and, um, and, and, and also salvaging just like tr the trades. Like, like we, we're not looking to automate anything. We want to create as many jobs as humanly possible. Um, and so I think it's really just um, when you put people first, like when you really think about hunger or whatever, any kind of sin, 
or any kind of issue, big issue, let's not call it sin, like hunger, for example, or poor, or like being poor, like it's all a morality issue, right? Like there's great hunger because in the places where there's hunger, there are men and women that have morality issues, right? That don't take themselves accountable, don't have accountability for their family, for feed. I mean, there are so many companies like Red Cross, all these different things that give food, give water, etc. They leave and the biggest, strongest guys with guns come and take all that food and then sell it to the poor people. Like th this happens everywhere, right? And so our, our desire is to, to adjust that morality issue, to change that. Um, by re basically redoing the food industry, by doing things the way that God intended. You know, so our chickens, for example, are pastured chickens. So they eat, 30% of their diet is grass and bugs. The other 70% is, is feed that we, we, we put together for them. But chickens are intended to eat grass, believe it or not. I didn't know that until the other day, that chickens eat grass. So it's crazy. But like, how did God intend to do things? That's how we want to grow our food. That's how we want to do it. And it's not like a weird, like, you know, vegan, like, you know, like, you know, we love our chickens like let's treat them obviously we want to treat animals with respect but that's not the goal the goal is to do things the way God intended and that way I feel like we could really transform the food industry and just food in general so but yeah any any kingdom enterprise that we move towards it has we have to find the leader first if there's no leader then we won't move there we won't do it you know the chicken farm happened because we found a leader like God presented a leader and okay we did it you know so yeah Anybody else? Got about four minutes. All right, well, I'm just going to sing. Um, any requests? No, I'm going to turn it up. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, overall, if you have any questions, um, we are kicking market share back up. Market share is our ministry for Kingdom of Work. It is not for the entrepreneur. It is for everyone. Um, and then... Uh, if you are interested in um, really diving deep, Texas has uh, Kingdom at Work, where Walter's from. They have their three-day conference uh, three or four times a year, kingdomatwork.com. Um, they're awesome. Been there like seven times because that's how many times I needed to like have it sink in like legitimately. So, um, But yeah, other than that, I guess that's it. So thank you guys. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it.